partner at Till Ventures, and with me is Brahmachari Sripriya Chaitanya, a monk and spiritual teacher from the Chinmay Mission. Welcome to That Heroic Fish, a podcast where we explore some of the most courageous steps that our guests have taken to get them to the place where they are today. Today we have Neha Bruda on the podcast. Neha grew up in Sydney, Australia. At 27, she got married and moved to London. It wasn't a happy marriage. And it ended abruptly and unexpectedly in divorce when Neha was 29. But it was an event that catapulted her on a profound inner journey of growth and transformation. Six years on, in her mid-30s, Neha looks back at her experience of this traumatic and sudden relationship breakdown as a start of a much more fuller and enriching life experience. Professionally, Neha began her career at the firm KPMG combining her corporate grounding with a passion to contribute positively to society. She's also worked for several non-profit organizations in her hometown of Sydney, as well as in Mumbai and in London. Today, she lives with her parents and younger sister in Sydney and works for social ventures in Australia. She's also a passionate student of Vedanta, fundraiser and ambassador for India's first modern university that teaches Sanskrit and Indology. Neha, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. A little Not bit nervous, nervous, never done anything like this before. The only thing that makes it better is that you're kind of here and so shrew for you. So, um, yeah, I'll just pretend I'm having a casual chat with, um, with friends. Well, which is what you are actually doing. Uh, and also, you know, for me, it's nice because, it, you know, it, it feels like it's been a while since uh, you and I have had a, you know, a chat like this. So I'm looking forward to it. I know, villain, old times, here we are again. Woohoo! Absolutely. Absolutely. We we see Neha, Neha regularly for her Sanskrit lessons. She's a very keen Sanskrit student. So, <laughs> Neha, let's start with. It's probably fair to say that you know your your childhood. You grew up part of a. I'm going to say modern, free thinking family. You know, happy, close relationship with your parents, with your siblings. Um, you know, grew up in Sydney. But I guess this was the first time that you you know, you left home. Kind of moved halfway across the world to London. I mean, I can understand, appreciate it would have been a, you know, a difficult adjustment. Um, but look, I mean, I, 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 I knew you then and know you now, and it was a, you know, the attitude that you had was just, you know, like, let's just adapt and, and kind of get on with it. And I know that you know the marriage itself was, you know, I mean, there were there were challenges. You know, there was times where you you know you felt alone, you know, without family, without that kind of friends and support network. I remember that you, you were finding difficulty, um, you know, having left a very successful career in Australia, trying to kind of replicate that successful career path in London, where you didn't have that network, was also challenging. Um, and of course, it was your um, connection to spirituality which kind of held you through all of that. So I guess that was sort of setting the context. Um, but coming back to that, um, you know, that that <coughs> to realization where you said it all. It was a, it was a period of shock because um, it all ha- it felt like it happened relatively quickly, like it moved fast towards that that period, right? Yeah, I mean, so where you know, once it was um, kind of set in motion, it were you know, the, there were obviously steps that um, we both tried to take to sort of um, uh, uh, I don't know fix or amend it, but uh, from my particular side, I I actually didn't have a say in. Um, or a choice in the matter, uh, which is what made it extremely even more difficult. Um, because when you have that aspect of uh, choice and dignity taken away from sort of your own life, um, and you're literally like I literally felt like I was being deported from one country to the other, and I and there was literally nothing I could do about it. Um, so yes, it happened really quickly, and then coming on to I still remember sort of being at the airport. In Atatur, I mean, I didn't even know what I packed. I and, and luckily, sort of my sister Avni and my brother-in-law Nish were there with me at that particular time, and my friend Priyanka. I actually thought it would be all fine. Like, I, I, I don't know if it was a delusional thing or a coping mechanism, but I was like, it's all going to be fine. It's, but then it, it wasn't, and I literally had like an hour or two hours to get to the airport and like get home. Um, and so, yeah, basically getting to the airport and boarding that Emirates flight, I think, is one of the most horrific or traumatic experiences that I've uh, had to date. And hopefully it is the last. What made it so horrific and traumatic? Uh, basically just leaving or being forced to leave without a choice 
A, something that you never thought would happen to you, such as a divorce, um, which already in itself has so many different connotations to it. Um, and then a job that, you know, you were just starting to like, a family that you were just starting to kind of integrate into, a husband that you thought you'd spend the rest of your life with, like slowly, all, and all the dreams and, you know, imaginations that you have about your future and what your life will be like, like literally in a second, it's just all gone. Um, and then the ramifications of what does it mean to be a divorcee, especially within an Indian context, well, I mean, all made it definitely very, very difficult. I think it, it's, you know, it's one of the things that people in general really struggle with because we're brought up to, to think in this way that we are, we are very much in control of our destiny and what happens to us. And, and then when, when something like this happens and we feel that we are, we're not in control and we don't have a choice, um, then it, it, it is very difficult, exp- especially if we, if we don't have anything to fall back on in that moment and to to take security from when all along we've been you know feeling secure in this idea that i have control when that's taken away then it can be very um you know as you're saying it's it's dramatic you're right in terms of you're basically um giving a whole lot of identity to yourself based on your external environment and all those particular things being in place and so when those things are not in place if you don't have that sort of stability from an internal one um yeah it just doesn't it just doesn't feel good at all talk a little more about you know one of the things that you mentioned there was the idea of being particularly in a kind of indian cultural context Tell, tell me more about what you thought that was going to be like during that time to be honest i actually thought my life was over um, like that, like that is the drastic approach that I, um, or conclusion that I came to. And what is really interesting about it for me now, kind of looking back is, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, I mean, I have been brought up in a very free spirited, modern family unit. Um, and yet I still, and I've never lived in India. Um, my friends are predominantly, uh, white. I've never lived in India, gone to international schools, lived in various international cities, uh, had a really modern upgrade. And, you know, and we're three girls and my dad and mom have brought us or raised us to believe that we can kind of do anything and there's no match or difference between a man and a woman. But yet, but yet when something like this happened, I still resorted to the, oh my God, my life is over and no one's going to talk to me. No one was going to want to listen to me. I'm never going to find work. I'm just going to be... Uh, this lonely, old, haggard woman uh, was the image that came to my mind. And yeah, I, I reflect on that a lot because I can't figure out like, you know, how did such a, uh, a notion still steep, steep into sort of my psyche? But yeah, that's what I felt at that time. Because I'd placed a lot of importance on what marriage meant in society and what a woman's role in society is being married versus not married um and not married uh again out of not out of a choice uh is the really important factor like here is someone who you thought loved you more than anything in the world is basically saying i really don't love you and i really don't want you anywhere in my life like that um, was really kind of self-destructing for um, sort of my self-esteem and confidence, right? It's like, here is someone who's supposed to love you for your whole entire life, but, he, but basically this, um, uh, well, my ex-husband is basically saying, well, no, um, that's kind of not what I want. You're not what I want. And so basically taking that, that really powerful negative belief about me personally and then applying it to every single other situation is kind of I think what I did um so it's like oh well if he thinks that then maybe my work will think that and if he thinks that then you know maybe my family would think that and and I'll go back to the sort of airplane experience I'm on this Emirates flight you know, A, I can't even move, like physically I can't even move because like my legs are literally, um, 
I don't know, like, you know, they're kind of tied to the ground because I'm like resisting actually moving. Um, and like there's this whole line behind me because I'm basically putting my like luggage through the x-ray machine. Um, so that, you know, again, I still think about that. And a lady, like a complete stranger actually had to help me out because I'm like bawling my eyes out while I'm like walking on boarding this flight. Go on this flight and, you know, the worst thing is it's like 24 hours, right? It's 24 hours to get from Sydney to London, from London to Sydney. Then I'm by myself. Um, and so then there's like this, you know, passenger next to me is like, what is wrong with this lady who just keeps crying? My air hostesses have no idea what to do. And like they literally, I feel like they're literally running out of like tissues. So I landed at Sydney, um, collected my bags, and I'm just about to exit the um, sort of the airport to come to the arrivals, um, arrivals location. And I, I freeze because I was like, oh my God, like my, I haven't seen my parents this whole entire time. I was like, what if they hate me now? Like, what if I am no longer their diamond daughter, which I'm sort of, which is what they call me, because I'm now divorced. And so I literally, you know, all I wanted to do was like run into my parents' arms. But at, the, at that same time, I like literally didn't want to exit because I was like, what if they see me in a completely different light? Now, thankfully, my parents are really super amazing and that didn't happen. And so when I came down, I could see my dad's head kind of peering and like just looking at every single person exiting and like going, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? Found me, gave me this really big hug and then passed me over to my like my mom. And then I literally sat in the back seat like a two year old with my head on her lap and cried the whole way home. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, for me, it just shows the power of like I even uh put that concept onto my own parents who would never do something like that. It's something that we, you know, that, that is obvious more to us maybe in, in situations like this, but it's something that we do all the time. Right. And that's the, the kind of power of the mind that it's, it's, it's in our ability to completely determine the relationships that we have because of the way that we see them and the way that we understand um, people around us and the way that we we think that they think of us um, and they relate to us and and I think it really just kind of it, it, it shows us that potential that is there um, and sometimes we only get to see it in a in a negative light but equally you know it's there if we're able to to harness it and use it in a positive way as well you know now how you said that the the kind of really overarching emotion that you felt was you know i'm not loved and you know therefore i am somehow there's something wrong with me and that you know if one person feels that then that maybe that that will apply in many other contexts as well in work even with my parents did that actually play out it was all just in my head I mean, it played out in a few sort of scenarios, but um, uh, but very like it was like you know a two percent thing versus uh, what I was thinking it would be like a hundred, but like literally everyone I came in contact with would like feel this way about me. And so, I mean, I, I want to come on to the kind of next phase, which is kind of I think you quite quickly made a decision to climb out of that very negative space. But one thing I just want us to come back to is that like, why do you think it didn't play out? Was it just that you were kind of fearing the worst and it was all just imagine, imagination? Or did you do something which prevented it from playing out? Because I think in a lot of scenarios, when we do have these um, kind of negative traumatic things that happen to us you know we we do start to develop these beliefs about ourselves that maybe there's something wrong with me and in my experience that when we start that i think those can be the most damaging types of beliefs anyone can hold because they do play out we make those things our reality there must be something wrong with me um you know it changes the way that we act with everyone and then everyone starts to treat us in the way that we see ourselves if you're saying that it didn't play out with you is it that it was all just in your head or did something happen 
which prevented it from playing out? I, I definitely took conscious steps to do something about it. Um, and so, and it didn't, it didn't come straight away, but it did come pretty quickly because of a few particular really powerful moments that I had during that time. So landed back in Sydney, you know, got home and, and literally for like the next couple of weeks, I was just in bed, um, pretty much crying. Um, my family was really amazing. Like my, you know, my mom's sister was in India and she'd call me every single day. My mom would read me like powerful, motivational sort of quotes and stories. And my dad would, you know, do things that I really, really loved. Um, but also yell at me when he saw me at the point of like, you know, there, there's like a really, so uh, imagery that comes to my mind is a well. And literally at that point, I'm like free falling in this well, um, just free falling. Um, and the light at the top is just literally getting smaller and smaller and smaller because I'm like falling deeper and deeper and deeper. So that's the sort of imagery that I have at this particular point. Um, and so, yeah, it was like a whole range of emotions of anger and frustration and, you know, sadness and like, you name it, it was kind of there. Um, but during that time, so my family was super amazing and I just feel really grateful because I don't know what people do when they don't have a support system. But I guess the three most powerful moments that made me sort of shift gear a little. So one was before I left um, London and got on that Emirates flight, I went to see sort of Pooja Swami Surupanandaji, um, so the head of uh, Chinua Mission. Um, the global head of Shimmer Mission currently. Um, so he was at London that time. And so I went and I went to visit him and he just, I don't know. I don't know why he said the thing, but he looked at me straight in the eye. He didn't say anything too much. Literally his, his sentence was, do not go into a spiral of negativity. You can do this. I know you can now just go and get on that flight. Like that's all he said, but it was so, like it was just so powerful for me um, because it literally just sat with me the whole time. The second component was one day my mom basically called me from work and she was just in tears. Like, like I've never seen her cry this much in my life. And she's like, I just can't see you like this. Like, I can't see you like this because you are so capable of doing so many other things. And it's just a guy, Neha. It's just a guy. And I, I like, I don't know why, but I, I like, you know, the thought of my mom just crying like that and the thought of what I am doing to her because I am acting in this particular way really just jolted me a little. So that was number two. And the final one was... You know, I've been studying Vedanta for a really long time. Um, prior to this, it was more superficial study, I must admit, um, because, you know, it was really great. You could take all these, like, really amazing things and apply it to a work context and people thought you were really intelligent. Um, so it was really, like, you know, a very superficial sort of study for it. And, you know, you meet really great people like Hans, like Millen and, you know, everyone else. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is fun. I can do this. Um, but all throughout that, you know, you basically learn that, you are infinite happiness. Nothing in the external world can take away this happiness from you. Like, you know, it's just literally like hounded into your head. So I was like, you know what, Vedanta? Like, if this is what you say, let me try it out right now. So I woke up one morning and I was like, look, I'm going to experiment. If this is what they say is true, then it should apply in this particular circumstance. I mean, it didn't last a day at all. It must have lasted maybe 20 minutes. But in those 20 minutes, I was really happy. It didn't last very long. And I went into a spiral of my little well thing again. But there was 20 minutes of happiness, right? Um, and so it was those three experiences. I was like, okay, there's something else here that I need to do from this. Like, what is it? Well, look, I think all three of those warrant further discussion. The first one you, you said was Swami Sarupananda who's uh, now the global head of the Chimai mission, and someone who you, know, you had a, a kind of a connection with, said to you, don't, I mean, he didn't use his words, but, but don't, don't fall down the well. Like, don't allow your mind to spiral into negativity. Two things there. One, why do you think he said that? And two, why do you think that just a relatively, I mean, anyone could have said that. I could have said that to you. But why did that... Like, why do you remember that, you know, all these years on, you know, one very 
seemingly simple statement. I can think about is something that um, sort of Pooja Swamiji says a lot is that if you don't have faith in yourself, at least look or count on the faith that other people have in you. When someone like that says it to you, it just makes a complete different shift in your thinking. Yeah, there is something very powerful about that. I, I, I guess, you know, to me, I think it's like he said it to you because he knows you and he knew that that's exactly what you were about to do. You're, you're about to go down the well. And so, you know, he said it to you because he knew that's what you needed. The sort of Pujya Swamiji statement stayed in my head. And then, you know, the mom, uh, mom's sort of belief in, you know, whatever she saw in like my particular potential and my love for her and the fact that I didn't want to see her like that, then created a little bit of shift in, you know, a little bit of space in like this black hole for like a little bit of light to come in. And that little light was, you know, then guiding you to like, oh, like Vedanta is basically saying this. So why don't we just test it out? And then the other thing that Vedanta says is that, you know, we're not like a, a theory that you have to apply when you die. Like you can literally apply it in your life right now and see it sort of benefits. And so I was like, okay, fine. Well, they're saying all this. And like everyone's like going on about how the Gita is so amazing and, you know, the Upanishads is so amazing and, you know, Arjuna did this and like all these sort of concepts that you come across but you don't really understand and, you know, win the mind, win the world, all this like stuff. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to test it out to see if it's real or not. Um, and, and that's just kind of what inspired that. Yeah. And, and Shri I wonder what your thoughts are on this because... It, it does seem to me like this was a, uh, a critical decision that Neha made where she could have, like the momentum of her falling down the well, you know, traumatic experience, don't know how to process it, feeling rejected and that I'm not good enough, applying that to other parts of her life. I, I think it's fairly common for people to fall down that well, you know, to go into, you know, a, a depression um, and then to play out that uh, feeling of, well, there's something wrong with me in other aspects of life. And I think a lot of people actually never recover from that. And, and those who do, you know, it, it does take some time. Um, and these, these things that now her recounts, this kind of interaction with her guru, this interaction with her mother, um, this kind of just, seemingly innocent or simple straightforward decision to say well let me just kind of try and apply the things that i've been hearing um i i wonder if you have any thoughts as to any you know there are any lessons that we can draw from that because everyone has mm-hmm. trauma and difficult experiences i mean there are different magnitudes of course um i just wonder if you had any reflections on this yeah i think absolutely just to echo what you said you know i think everyone goes through sort of moments like this and and they may differ in sort of duration and intensity but but everyone has experiences of you know difficulty and trauma um and i think one thing which you sort of um which comes across when when neha is speaking is that it's sort of like these seeds have been planted and then you sort of you you go through this very difficult experience and all that time they're 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 sitting there and you can't really see their results you can't see what's coming out of them um but at some point you know they start to they start to germinate i guess and they and they 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 get that little bit of sunlight and I think we, especially if, you know, this, the exposure to whether you say Vedantic teachings in particular or or spirituality in general or, you know, these kinds of thoughts, it, it often happens that at the moment that we hear them, they don't have an immediate impact. For some people they do. um, And for some people they don't. And it just takes time for, I think, us to sort of, to be ready for for that to to have its result, and I think one thing which is really important is the 
the idea that we want to help ourselves because sometimes when the mind gets into that state even that thought doesn't come right we're, we're not even willing to help ourselves because we don't see the we don't see the purpose of of helping ourselves we don't see our own worth and therefore we don't think there is any that there is any point to to helping ourselves come out of this and and i think that's one of the most challenging things is that you know you can't really help someone until they want to help themselves and i think that until that thought comes that you know whether it's in the form of neha saying i'm going to try this and i'm going to see if it works or even being motivated by what someone else has said to you and saying that you know there isn't even if i can't see reason in myself i see that there are external reasons for me to try and come out of this i think they can all be quite powerful in helping to sort of to pull or to push us out of that that kind of experience or that kind of um mental state that we we sometimes find ourselves in it's interesting you know because it feels like there was a a decision had to be made that i will not fall down that well and then i wonder if it's a bit of a chicken and egg here because I, once you make that decision you're receptive to learning the things that you need to learn in order to kind of climb out of that well of saying that this traumatic thing that happened to me is not going to shape me it's just going to be a thing that happened and i'm going to choose the kind of person that i'm i want to be and 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 only then can you be receptive i think to to learning the things that you need to learn to then consciously shape the life that you want to have otherwise you just end up becoming shaped by your experiences and we all have bad experiences now how let let's Let, let, talk to me about what happened immediately after that. So let's say, okay, so there was these seeds were planted. You made this decision, and then, the, the, then what happened straight after that? So yeah, so straight after that, like you were saying, it, it basically got to a point where, um, so in my well analogy, falling, falling, falling. These three things happened. I stopped falling. So I can now literally see I stopped falling. I'm still way down. The light's still really small. Can't really figure out how to get to the top, but I've stopped falling. So I'm like, okay, great. So I've stopped falling. Now what do I do next? And I basically was like, I need to climb out of this well. Um, and then the so the only other obvious step to me was, I've tried 20 minutes of being happy. It works. It's basically Vedanta's basically telling me that I'm like infinite happiness. I need to figure out more about this. because this is the only thing that's kind of captivating me and basically telling me that this experience will be something positive versus anything else that I'm like thinking of at the moment. So, I book my flights and I get to Coimbatore where Bhujaswami Surupananda ji is basically conducting his um uh make it happen course. Okay, and this is again for anyone who's unfamiliar Coimbatore um a small city in the south of india where there is an ashram uh where swami sarupananda uh spends several months of the year um and there he was doing he was conducting a uh retreat um which neha and i went to we were, we were there together right now yes milan you were there with me this whole thing i remember i remember it very well all right so talking about what 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 happened because i want i want to come back to these 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 kind of seeds that were planted that shri preji referred to it it feels as if whatever those seeds were kind of broke ground and came and germinated when you were there in in coimbatore and so i just want to understand like what happened in coimbatore yeah i mean this podcast will have to go on for like years if i like go through every single detail of what happened because you know i still think about it now so many years later and i was like oh that's what that point was about um so it slowly so took in but you know a few a few um really key elements kind of happen at that particular point in time and so i get to gramathor and this is at the sort of chimney international Res- residential school which is where this retreat is being held 
um, and a day or two before it starts. Um, so the first thing that happens is that I, I bump into Swami Vimalananda, who's another sort of senior teacher of um, Chin Motion. So before I make it happen, I bump into her and I was like, look, uh, Swamiji, can we just go for a walk? Go for a walk. And she's obviously noticed that I'm like considerably upset. She's like, what's happened? And I'm, I'm like, look, I have to tell someone right now because I was just bursting out of me. So I told her. And, you know, she's, she gave me so many beautiful pearls of wisdom. But the one that stuck, stood out to me was basically, you know, everyone has life experiences. Um, and from life experiences, make sure that you become better and not bitter. Um, and I, I, I don't know why, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure people have heard that before or it makes sense to me. But for me, it was such a, it was such a powerful thing because she was like, look, you're not the only one who's had life experiences, first of all. So don't get all like hoo-ha about it. Um, and secondly, just do something to make it better versus becoming a bitter person. Um, and so before, even before I got to make it happen, I had like this, uh, this kind of thought in my mind. I mean, I didn't know what to do with it, but that was point number one. So Swami Vimalananda said to you, don't attach too much self-importance. Uh, okay, I don't think she quite said this, but what I heard is like, don't be a drama queen. Like you're not the first person this has happened to. And make a decision. Like, is this going to make you a worse person? Is this going to make you an, a more unhappy person or a... A more resilient person and so of the way she framed it was you know are you, are you, is this going to make you bitter or is this going to make you make you better um like how did you react when you heard that because i could understand someone saying well one that's not particularly compassionate like okay fine i'm not the first person who's had a bad thing happen to them but a bad thing has happened to me so can i please have some sympathy um and two you know, is this going to make you bitter or not better? Honestly, I don't really need a cliche right now. You know, that's not helpful. So, like, you could have reacted like that. Did you react like that? Or did you react in a different way? Or was it just such an emotional whirlwind that you don't really remember? Uh, so, no, definitely did not re react like that. Um, and, you know, because there's a podcast, I'm not going to go through all the details. I mean, we had, like, an hour chat where it was basically... I mean, the most compassionate, the most sort of loving mother type sort of feeling towards this, um, you know, throughout the whole thing and, uh, you know, and, you know, so beautiful, but also very practical, which is, I think, really important to have at a time like this. Um, so you can just kind of snap out from sort of something uh, and, you know, really powerful sort of stories. And one of the really amazing things that she made me do was basically um, in my, she, she basically said that. I am tarnishing my insides, um, you know, my inside beautiful soul personality by thinking of really negative, you know, revengeful thoughts. It's like, you know, you're just basically harming yourself versus anyone else. Um, and so anytime a negative thought comes up, let's build a beautiful sort of bonfire in your mind, like an imagery, because I'm a very visual person. So build an imagery of a bonfire in your mind. And every time it comes up, you literally just place it in that bonfire. Like don't do anything with it. Just kind of simply place it in there. So yes, she gave me a lot of love, compassion, and a lot of this sort of middle, um, uh, you know, yes, kind of get on with it come on, Neha, and also a, a tool of how to do that. Well, actually, let me just clarify. So you said, when she said to you, are you going to allow this to make you, you know, bitter or, or, or better? Did she tell you, like, what is, what would you have to do in order for this to not make you bitter? She basically just said that I couldn't harbor any uh, um, negative feelings about it. So I literally just had to. I mean, that, okay, that, I mean, that's great. But, you know, not harboring negative feelings is not something which is really in our control. Like, you know, for most people, negative feelings just come. You can't just say, I'm going to decide that they're not going to be here anymore. If you're feeling sad, you're feeling sad. If you're feeling angry, you're feeling angry. Like, what do you have to do to make those negative emotions not be there anymore well the other um phrase that she mentioned was uh i just had to forgive i literally just had to forgive um and and sort of let it pass 
And that, that was kind of the end of that particular conversation. So I didn't really dwell into like more of the sort of details with that. And, you know, this was the first time that I'd met um, so Swami Ji and she, I was like, oh my gosh, she already thinks I'm a complete weirdo. Again, you know, projecting my own, um, my own sort of versions of my own reality onto what, whatever she's thinking. Um, so just kind of left it at that, but the, uh, but it was a really powerful, I mean, that statement in itself was really powerful. It's like, okay, this is a experience. A lot of people face experiences and you can either choose um, out of your own sort of free will to make it a bitter experience or a better experience. And Tripaji, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts here, because I think you now I said something really quite important there. Harboring negative emotions is something that everyone does. And it's not very easy. In fact, I think it's very hard to not harbor negative emotion. If something really bad happens to us, we feel sad, angry, depressed, frustrated. Um, and I think, so I use the word depressed there. I think depression is when the, that storm of negative emotions becomes so all consuming that it's difficult to be able to find your way out of that. And I think what Neha just said there, uh, the advice that she was given to forgive it's a really important strategy to not harbor those negative emotions and not allow them to consume you. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on it. I think it's, it's, it's really important to recognize that first, that these emotions will arise. You know, we, we, we all do experience these negative emotions. And I think it's maybe even in, in, in even more general terms than, than sort of forgiving, it's sort of, not resisting the things that happen and so even if it's even if it's not a person that you know has has caused this um or been involved in a situation that has caused me to to have these negative emotions even if it's something that you know it's just circumstance i think not resisting it can can be the way to to let go of those negative emotions and i think also, not resisting doesn't just mean, well, you know, this sort of fatalistic attitude of what's meant to be will be, be and, and, and I can't do anything about it. I'll just, I'll just go along with whatever happens. I think that acceptance is, in fact, the first step to, to being able to, to do something. Because I think as long as you're resisting what's happening, you can't grasp fully what's happening. And if you can't grasp fully what's happening, you can't um, you can't formulate a solution to what's happening. Neha, what do you think? I mean, the, the this idea of, of acceptance as well. So the next part of sort of make it happen journey um, are precisely these particular steps. And so it first started with the fact that I just wasn't accepting the fact that I was divorced or my marriage had ended. Um, just wasn't having it, you know, had heard these particular really powerful statements, but I was like, no, I'm just not having this particular thing. And so I, I, you know, I got to this seminar, there was, you know, these 25 really amazing, wonderful people, but I did not speak to anyone. Like I didn't speak to anyone. I kind of hid myself in the room. I would just come out for sort of the classes, et cetera. And then I would just kind of go back in, wouldn't really socialize with anyone at like dinner or whatever it is. You know, people obviously knew that something was like wrong, um, but they were all loving enough to not sort of probe, etc. Um, but yeah, I was like, no, I'm like, I'm not going to do this. And then, you know, again, only speaking to Buddha Swamiji, he's like, you, you just have to, you just have to accept this. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about, and what is he saying? I don't understand how to do this. I just don't get it. Um, and you know, I was feeling, I was just feeling like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And then I remember bumping into Millen actually um, at that time, and you know, I was noticeably quite stressed out or feeling quite sort of anxious at that moment. Then Millen's like, "What's happening?" And I was like, "I don't know." Like, you know, which is why I'm just telling me to do something, and I just, I just don't understand what to do or how to do it. And a Millen, like he, this is another Millen look me in the eye moment. He's like, "Look, I'm just going to tell you one thing." You basically just have to do whatever Buddha Swamiji says. If you do it, it'll all be fine. If you don't, you will suffer. And then he just walks off. You know, he's this casual walk around the CRS, like I'm like the king of the world. I was like, what? I like, what? He literally just walked off. I'm like, okay, fine. Like another little moment. 
And so I'm like, okay, fine. Please just want me to tell me how to accept, have to accept the subject sex thing. And so the only thing I can think of doing is I have to share my story. Like that's what I have to do to accept it. I basically have to share the story with a group of complete strangers and just kind of see what happens. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, Oh my God, they're all going to hate me. Um, but I decide to share the story and I, you know, after one of the lessons or one of the, one of the classes, I basically tell everyone, I was like, everyone, can you please meet me after lunch at this particular spot? Um, just come. And so all of them are like, what is happening? So firstly, she doesn't speak to us for like three days. And now all of a sudden she wants like us to have like this private meeting. So again, they obviously didn't say this. I thought it in my own head. They all came, we all sat in this like circle and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is like the weirdest thing I've ever done. I like didn't look up at anyone. And at that point, I just felt really nauseous. I was like, oh, I, like literally, I'm, they're just going to kick me out and make it happen once I like share this story. Um, so I close my eyes, take deep breath in, still don't look up at anyone. Everyone's in this circle. And I just, I just share for the next 30 minutes. I just kind of share whatever's in my mind and whatever's in my heart and, you know, how I'm feeling and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera finish the story still not looking up um and you know breathing really really sort of heavily at this particular point in time um and then all of a sudden I just feel like this really warm hug from Aishna um who was one of the participants at the camp and then I slowly look up and like a few people have tears in their eyes and then everyone just gets up and I get just I get this like this this hug from a group hug from like these 25 participants. Um, and it just was so contrary to what I was expecting. And so I think that that moment, it was such a powerful moment for me to realize actually maybe the stuff that I'm telling myself isn't true. And just by sharing that story in this environment with a really sincere intention with a group of people who, genuinely are caring for you and are kind of on the same particular path it just helped me release a whole lot of things just by doing that um, and so that I think was my real step is in in accepting as you said true Bridgie accepting the the situation I think that um just going back to to a question that you know Milan had asked earlier that how is it that these expectations or, or thoughts in your mind didn't translate to your experiences you know this and I think this especially from what you've just said is that if we if we are met with behavior that that disproves our thinking it's such a great way to be able to to let go of that but at the same time I think Neha that you know if you really did if that negative thought was the stronger one then perhaps you wouldn't have called that meeting and you wouldn't have said listen I just need to do this so I think at the same time as that thought is there that this is what people will think of me there is also you know there is this force that's that's also saying well I need to I need to do something about it and then you're giving yourself the space to to be disproved you're giving yourself the 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 chance to to see that you're wrong and I think maybe maybe that's and and maybe you can agree or disagree but maybe that's sort of a, a a faith in in what Swamiji has said and this faith is is allowing you to to hold on to that determination or positivity in getting through it because I think faith is is really something that you know when we don't see a way forward and and we don't see how something can be true faith is the thing that that gets us there you know we use this word shraddha which we translate as faith but which actually means so much more than that and which is such a powerful force in in helping us to to keep moving forward you know true Peji, um, you know, we've heard all these things from um now the four things that i heard were acceptance forgiveness the role of a guru and the role of being around like-minded people who are also seeking to kind of pull themselves out of a well or, or improve themselves in some way. So that, that fourth one, that kind of being around like-minded people, of course, you know, in 
the literature of Vedanta, we, we talk about this idea of a satsang, kind of being in that kind of positive environment. So these are the four things, acceptance, forgiveness, um, guru and, and satsang, i.e. like-minded people. Um, I wonder if a way to think about this, you know, is an accurate definition of the problem is required before a solution can be formulated. Now, I'm just relating this to, you know, to the, the kind of work that I do, you know, where, you know, we work with entrepreneurs, you know, trying to formulate new business models, uh, which can you know, profitably solve new problems. Um, and my partner, uh, who's not uh, familiar with Vedanta anyway, but, but has a very, very scientific, precise mind, you know, will always say, you know, the, an act, before we can um, formulate any solution, we must spend time accurately defining the problem that we're trying to solve. And I wonder if that is relevant here. Because it seems like an inaccurate definition of the problem is something bad happened to me, therefore something is wrong with me. And if the problem is defined as there is something wrong with me, I think that leads to bad things. Because if there is a belief that there is something wrong with me, it, it, it plays out in many, many different aspects of our lives. I think everything stems from that inaccurate definition of the problem. Whereas an accurate definition of the problem is something bad happened, full stop. I think even go on to say something bad happened um, and good and bad things happen all the time. And whether the thing is pleasant or unpleasant, everything is an opportunity for me to learn and become the kind of person who can be happy and fulfilled. And everything, whether unpleasant or pleasant, it's just a learning opportunity. That to me is, a, is, is a, an accurate definition of the situation. An accurate definition of the problem and it seems to me that what Neha did which was accept and forgive brought about a clarity that allowed her to accurately define the problem such that she was then able to formulate a solution which now you haven't talked about yet and I'd love to hear a bit more about that like you know after you'd kind of accepted and forgived like what happened next but it does seem that that is the case, that acceptance and forgiveness allows an accurate definition of the problem. And really the power of the guru and, and the power of that kind of positive environment of being a, around people who cared about you, um, is that he was able to get through to you. Oh, he or she, I mean, in, in this case, Swami Sarupananda and Swami Vimananda, you know, they had a wisdom, they knew you, they knew how to communicate with you. They only wanted what was best for you. There was no self-interest in their advice whatsoever. Um, and there was something about that that cut through and touched you and made you listen such that you then took their advice. Swami Vrindavan said, forgive. Swami Sarabhananda said, accept. And you did both of those things, which allowed you to accurately define the problem. And if you cannot accurately define the problem, you are there with no hope of being able to formulate a solution. If you can accurately define the problem, it really feels like the solution is easy, or certainly much easier. In terms of acceptance, I definitely done that. I definitely hadn't got to the forgiving bit. Um, so the circle exercise was just the okay. This has kind of happened. Now what is the next step? And so the next step was, which is Swamiji saying, okay, now you need to forgive. Um, and so the story that again comes to my mind to, at this point is again, we're sitting in this, in this um, seminar room, I'm in the front row, which is Swamiji's in front of me. Um, and he, and you know, everyone's in the room now. He knows that I've shared the story with everyone. So he's like happily just like, Neha, let's pick your case, for example. Um, I specifically remember this. He's like, you know, I've asked Neha to forgive the actual person, but understandably at the moment she can't do that. Fine. Then he's like, but I then said, why don't you forgive for yourself? Because, you know, you do want to like be unhappy, like, you know, um, and, you know, and in the, in the middle of the classroom, he's like, but she also couldn't do that. So now I'm telling you, Neha, why don't you just forgive 
because I'm telling you to do so. Um, and if you love me, then you'll be able to forgive. Um, and then, you know, right there in that, in that, in that, um, in that moment, I yelled out, yes, I do. I do. I like really love you. And he's like, well, then you'll be able to do it. And so that, again, you know, it basically highlighted two things for me. Again, that Vedanta has talked about so many times, but I just didn't, didn't understand. One is this power of like positive emotions, like something like forgiveness um, and what that does to your mind and, you know, how it transforms it into a better receptor for like, like higher knowledge. Um, so you basically, it's the only thing you have control of in that situation. Uh, it's the only thing that gives the edge over anyone else. And it's the only way that you will not take this lens of the world and apply it to your multitude of situations. Like it is so powerful and it has nothing to do with the other person. So like Millen was saying, my definition of forgiveness was incorrect. And my definition of forgiveness was, oh my God, the other person's going to get let off the hook and I'm just going to be stuck in this environment. But Puja Swamiji showed me actually it was the other way around and nothing to do with the other person. Forgiveness was all just about me. And then the way, like, it's just so clever, right? The way that he then led me to do that was by attaching it to something higher. Like, I couldn't forgive because, because I knew it was good for me. I could only do it because he attached it to a higher purpose, which in this case was my sort of love and admiration for him. And so he's like, if you can do that, then, you know, that will just make the whole transition process really, really amazing. Um, and, and, you know, and that again was like that turning point. So now I'm in this well, I've like stopped falling. I'm like clinging onto the rock is my acceptance. And now my forgiveness is I found more rocks to figure out how to climb up. Actually, I found a rope. And so now I'm like slowly climbing up that particular well because I've done these two particular steps. Um, which has just kind of highlighted that process. And then the third sort of element is, well, how do you sustain the rope climb, right? So like you've forgiven, but there's still like all this turmoil, you know, it doesn't go away automatically. So how do you sustain that particular aspect? And this is where sort of another teacher had a really influential um, part in this, in this time with Swami, Swami Supriyananda, who basically just talked a lot about the power of love, right? The power of love, and the fact that if you always want it or you're always like a beggar of love, you will just never be satisfied versus if you're a giver of love. And you can only give love when you're basically um, filled with love yourself. Um, and so there's this real thing about self-love and what that particular thing means um, to sustain that particular journey. And then again, Swamiji basically brought that in with this exercise. So the, the way to forgiveness was through A, accepting, B, realizing my definition of forgiveness was incorrect, and then sustaining it or m making it possible by attaching it to a higher power or a higher cause. Um, because then again, in the true you said faith, right? Like, we just wanted to have faith in me, and that's what made me have faith in myself, that I could do these particular things. I, I mean, I, I remember it really well. I remember <laughs> the conversation that, that, that you and I had. Um, and, you know, the reason that, you know, that, that little advice that, that I shared, which was just, just listen to what Samaji tells you, you know, wasn't because, you know, I mean, you, you, you described it as if it was, there was like a pearl of wisdom that I consciously dropped and then kind of walked off into the sunset. I think the reality was I had my own problems at that time and <laughs> you know, trying try, try to work, work, work through those. Um, you know, but I, I guess the reason that I said it is because I knew that he would know the way to help you. He would know which rope to drop down the well that you'd be able to, and the, the way you describe it there, like he used all these different strategies. It's like, I can see she's falling down that well and I'm not gonna let her go. So let me, you know, whatever it takes, you know. But then you had to hold on to it, you know, you, 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 like, you, know, you had to, make that decision. Shri Bajan, any thoughts, reflections from you on, on all of this? I think um, just to sort of go back to what we were saying about uh, acceptance and that being important in terms of the external situation. But I think also, you know, when we talk about self-love, um, I think that's a big part of it is that, that 
accepting ourselves for who we are. Um, and even if that does mean that, you know, there are things or thought patterns or behaviors that, that can be identified as problematic. I think, I don't think self-love means I'm perfect. Right? I think self-love means, um, okay, this is who I am. Um, there are these good things about me. There are these sort of, uh, weaknesses maybe that I can identify, but I accept them and I wish the best for myself. And therefore I, I choose to do something about them. Um, and I think that, you know, again, it, it may not be something that's easy, but I think it's, it's the biggest blessing that we can give ourselves is, you know, to say that I, I wish well for myself. And we talk a lot about, um, you know, the grace of God or the grace of the guru, but I think we also have to be very gracious to ourselves and, and say that I, I, you know, this is who I am and, and this is, uh, the way that I can move forward and I'm not going to condemn myself for making mistakes or for, for having these negative um, thought patterns, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and do something about it. Well, I mean, it's, I guess it's just like regular love, you know, the way you just described self-love there, you know, I mean, I, you know, I love my children. That doesn't mean that I think they are perfect. You know, there, mm. there, are, there are elements about them, which are, you know, kind of have, there are positive elements and there are elements that, that are not so positive and that they need to work on and that I need to help them work on. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't love them. Mm -hmm. so, I, I mean, I think it's a really nice way of, of, of framing it. It's, you know, you know self-love is just like love. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that I, am, that I feel that I am perfect and I will you know, tolerate the negative sides of my personality. It just means that there are things about which are great and things about which are not so great, and I'm going to work on the things that are not so great. But the fact that I that, that love is there is never a question. At that point, um, so again, reflecting back, I mean, you know, Bridges Swamiji even asked me at that point. He's like, you know, you keep saying, "Why me? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me?" But maybe you should ask, "Why not you?" Like, you know, like why not you? Like, do, why don't you look at this as a great act of love um from you know whoever you want to call god consciousness etc um to steer you in a direction that you probably would not have gone otherwise exactly mm. and so now then like what happened because obviously you know that time that you spent in going with or you know was very powerful and so how did you crack on so yeah, so that, that, I mean, that's a really good point. Again, you know, you basically can't define, and Bridget Swamiji says this, um, success or failure by the failure of a goal. It's like a goal was like, yeah, okay, I want to get married, but your purpose was something completely different. It's like, you know, contribute to society, become a more caring person, like transform yourself, like all those things. And actually this, this failure of like a marriage was actually, I mean, it added so much to my ultimate purpose. And so then just taking that and applying it. So, yeah, I left Gwambathor renewed, um, you know, not at the top of the well, but definitely not down below, maybe like 50%, but, you know, still had to do the climb. Um, right. But again, it, it, you know, it's just always so self-assuring when you know there's someone backing you on your climb mm -hmm. and so you're like, oh, yeah, like, why would you think I can do this? So, yes, I can. I can do the rest of the 50%. Um, so yeah, I decided, you know what, I'm going to move back to London by myself. That's what I'm going to do. Like, it's fine. I was there because I got married, but now I'm not married. Um, so I'm not going to hide away and, you know, wallop in my parents' house because they were like, you can't even do that either. Um, you have to like, you know, um, uh, you can't just hide in our house for the rest of your life. Um, and so I moved back to London. I lived there for what, five more years by myself in my own apartment. Um, I made so many amazing friends. I did incredibly well at work, you know, went to, um, sort of New York, London, Africa, India, doing all this stuff with international development, um, really contributing to society in that particular way. Um, and I guess, I guess I just became independent, right? So I found, 
all those things inside that I was um, looking for outside. And so then whatever kind of happened externally didn't really, didn't really sort of matter as much. And even within the work, because I did all this sort of work on myself in international development work, I mean, having that empathy for people who are in completely different situations to you and being that bridge to, you know, bring two worlds together was something that now came really naturally to me because I'd done the work on myself um, with the help of this particular make it happen, um, make it happen course. Um, and I guess the best thing that happened to me was that I fell in love with Vedanta. Uh, and so now I want to study it properly. So not just as a superficial, hey, I'm going to sound really smart at work tool. Um, but okay, like these are really practical steps that I can take to really transform um, sort of my life. Um, and then also, yeah, getting more involved in things that make a significance. Uh, so not just sort of, again, which is Swamiji's world, not just a success, but a significance to the world. And so being involved in things like Shuma University, um, learning my Sanskrit, just really, I'm just really happy. You, you, you did what your, what your guru told you. Um, and, and actually, to be fair, I was the one that said to you, do just listen to Thamaji. Really? So oh I, I think I can claim most of the credit for for uh, oh. for this. Yeah. I was just so furious. <laughs> I was like, what? Saying that to me. As I said, you know, yeah. it's a pile of wisdom <laughs> that I dropped and then walked off into the sunset. No yeah, I was like, there. what? I'm like, Millard, how is that? Like, what is this audacity to say that to me? He's like, you just listen, and if you don't, your life is going to be ruined. Walk off. I'm like, what? Yeah, but it's just so the opposite. It's just so the opposite. And, and you know, that was the, the choice that you made. You know, that was your heroic Fisher moment. I think um, it's interesting to particularly with you both, because I think you, Melon, sort of were there with Neha as she was going through this journey. And I think I only really got to know Neha very much after I came back from, from the Vedanta course. I, uh, I think it's a real testament to, to the teaching and to her and her faith in this teaching and teachers that she very much is a person who you can see is so kind of dedicated to her own growth um and and to this so i think you know if we have to answer that question of has it made you bitter or better i think it's very very clear that you made that decision and it, and it, it clearly shows absolutely absolutely now if there were three words uh, or even just one sentence that you could tell your 18 year old self what would it be it would be just have more confidence in your own ability. So now I basically know because I have Vedanta, nothing can happen to me. Um, and so it's that backing uh, that, you know, you can be like, oh, it's okay. Because the Gita basically said that you're permanently happy and I've tested it out. Like, and that's the thing, you know, I've tested it out now and it works, right? There's no longer a theory for me. Right. I'm like, oh my God, like everything that they're saying is true because I've personally tested it out. And, you know, I've had so many comments to me. It's like, you know, why did you not go see a therapist? Why did you go to an ashram um, after this? And my, my only thing is I am just so glad that I went to an ashram and did a make it happen course, which is like rooted in Vedanta versus anything else, because that is like, you know, literally a two week turnaround time versus like seven years on a couch. Who wants that? Um, and so because it's like a tried and tested thing, I'm like, yeah, like, it's okay. I've got this as a backing. We're calling this podcast a heroic fish, you know, this kind of moment, this decision that, you know, the first fish took to leap out of the ocean onto land into the unknown. And then, you know, um, uh, evolve as a result is there any one moment don't overthink this actually let any first thing that comes to your mind one particular instance one moment where that where a decision was made i think it was really at the point where i left um 
London before I got to the Emirates fight when Pooja Swamiji said, do not spiral down into 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 whatever well you're spiraling down into. I, I literally think it was that one because that was the thing that then led me to do everything else. Because if I hadn't had that statement, it wasn't sub, I mean, I wasn't thinking about it all the time, right? I was crying all the time, but it was still there, like somewhere. And so in moments of like, non that much crying, it would just kind of pop up. And I was like, why does he think that I can do something? Like, I just don't get it. Um, and so I think it was that. And then, and then just kind of solidifying that and seeing kind of where that led me to. I, I really think it was that. And, and, and the funny thing is, when I got to um, uh, Jim that day before I was heading on that flight, I didn't even want to see Pooja Swamiji because I was so embarrassed that he would also hate me. Um, like, I didn't even want to see him. So I was basically down the hallway. My sister and brother-in-law were dragging me to the thing. And Pooja Swamiji is like, Neha, I need to talk to you. Right? So I didn't even want to see him. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was definitely that one. Neha, thank you uh, for so honestly and candidly sharing this. I'm sure everyone listening will find it enormously valuable. Shri Preji, as always, thank you for um, your insights um, and making the time to be here on the podcast. And to uh, all of our listeners, that was That Heroic Fish. That Heroic Fish is brought to you by Chinmaya Mission UK an organization that is committed to spreading maximum happiness to the maximum amount of people for the maximum amount of time through the sharing of Advaita Vedanta. To find out more, visit chinmayauk.org.